You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! I know Kung Fu. Show me. I want you to do me a favor. Yeah, sure. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. What? I want you to hit me as hard as you can. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Welcome to the John Weldon Show. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Jonathan Welton here with our next special guest interview. I've been looking forward to this. This is really, uh, we're going to go some places that are going to be raw and real and deep and profound. And I'm guessing the language will be a little colorful as usual. Uh, usually it's me, but uh, uh, my guest today, uh, my new friend, Matt, and let's see if I can say this last name right. And Tisney, is that right? Yep. Got it. Perfect. So Matt is uh, Matt is a believer. He's in the charismatic world. He understands uh, a lot of the same stream we've been in together for years, but he also has had a really unique journey of abuse, addiction, challenges, uh, extreme weight, and he has a book coming out later this year called 700 Pounds, A Memoir, and uh, I am so excited to hear the story, the long story, because you don't end up there in a day. There, there's a long journey that gets you from, you know, eight pounds when you come out of your mom to, to you know, 700 pounds years yeah. later. So I want to hear, Matt, start us wherever. What, what, you're from Oregon, right? Is that where you grew up? I'm from Oregon, yeah. So I was born and raised in Portland, Oregon in 1980 and lived in the sub group in the suburbs um, in a city called Hillsboro, Beaverton Hillsboro area. And it's actually the world headquarters for Nike, uh, huh? the world headquarters for Intel. So we've got, we're like the Silicon Valley of Oregon or huh. up here. So we're compared all the time to central California or Northern okay. California, I think it is. So yeah, so I was raised here. And then when I was younger, uh, parents divorced real young. My mom remarried when I was five to a, man, a guy from Mexico, so I was raised in the Latino culture, real strong Latino culture. I am Hispanic. I am Hispanic. Um, I was um, <clears throat> taught a lot of that stuff, a lot of the, the machismo and a lot of that stuff growing up with my, mm -hmm. my dad was really big into that, and so was my stepdad. But two different worlds, if that makes sense, but same kind of mindset. For, for, um, the, for the white... For the white people watching, explain what machismo is in like a 10 second version. It's, it's, do, it's do or die. You'd rather die on your feet than live on your knees type thing. I know that oh. sounds great. That's a famous saying by Emilio Zapata, famous Mexican fighter or raider down in, uh, in Mexico in the 1800s, late 1900s. But basically what it means is like you're, you're, you're take great pride in your cultural backing and, and everything you do, even if it's wrong good, bad, ugly, all that, but you're very prideful and you're uh, very family oriented. And um, everybody knows that Latinos have like 50 cousins whenever they get together and there's like tons of family members. So that's how I grew up. I grew up around a lot of family like that. Okay. Um, but so yeah, we're really connected on my stepdad's side and then also my biological dad's side and I've got brothers and stuff like that. So as time went on though, um, I lived in Pennsylvania for about nine months when I was 12. My dad had went through a massive custody battle. It was really well known in the state of Oregon at the time. Mm. Um, and so uh, my, we ended up living, going back with our mom in early 1993. My twin, I have a twin brother, identical twin brother um, named Andrew, Andy. He went by, he's passed away. But uh, mm. so we, uh, yeah, we did, that all happened. And then about that same time, uh, him and I got involved in gangs. And so a lot of the Latino gang culture that came from Los Angeles started migrating up to the Northwest and it started, uh, it started plaguing the area because a lot of the families that came up for work were coming up for seasonal work, but then it became permanent. And my stepfather was involved in a lot of that, a lot of the uh, migrant working in the fields and stuff like that time. So anyhow, we got involved in that. And then we got into the gang about 93, 94, my twin and I, and then it just kind of from there, it went, uh, you know, we got involved in a lot of bad stuff. Um, unfortunately, mm -hmm. in 1995, my brother committed some crimes under a mandatory sentencing law that Oregon had at the time, uh, which is called Measure 11, which is if you commit a violent crime, 
and you're 15 years or older, you get tried as an adult. And that's what happened to my brother. And he was facing like almost 20 years. So he did about 17 years in prison um, for that, all that stuff. And I'll, I'm not going to skip to that point because there's stuff in between. But what sure. had happened was is in, involved in, in, within all that gang stuff. Um, I got stabbed once when I was uh, 16, 17. Um, and I just said, I'm done. Like, this is too much. I'm going to either die or end up in prison like my twin. Mm. And he, got, he, he was going his own path at that point. And what had happened was is I'd met my now ex-wife um, on a bus and she was headed to a party. But uh, uh, and so she she was like, hey, you know, why don't we hang out sometime? Blah, blah, blah. And I went from there. Didn't know that her whole family was from the rival gang from me and my twin. Had no <laughs> idea that they were all leaders of this rival gang. That ended up crazy. Um, and so we ended up meeting up, but then her idea of meeting up, I thought, Hey, you know, I'm going to hook up with this hot Latina chick and Ooh, yeah, I'm cool. And I creased, I used to crease my pants up for four hours at a time. And I would spend so much time, put oldies on. I was just into that culture big time. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that she was taking me to church and I'm like, Ugh. I was raised in, you know, in church already in the four square denomination when I was younger, but I wasn't really active. And yeah. so I was like, man, I thought we were going to hang out, watch movies and chill and smoke weed and all this stuff. Well, no, she literally, we hopped on a bus and got off at the bus stop and then there was a church there. I'm like, what? So we went in there. <laughs> yeah, we went in there and they had an anti-gang and drug prevention like play going on called Bound by Colors. And I got <laughs> radically touched by the Lord. Um, it wasn't like charismatic or anything like that, but it was it was still Pentecostal. And yeah. they were like, and I, I just remember the Holy Spirit just tugging on my heart when I was in there. I was 13, 16, and I almost 17. And she had her hand on my shoulder. I remember just praying for me. And I remember feeling that presence, just like that first, like one of the first times ever just feeling that. And wow. I gave my life to the Lord. I rededicated my life because I got saved when I was younger, obviously. But I, it was just a radical thing for me. I couldn't believe that a bunch of these ex-gang members and prostitutes and drug addicts were getting like set free and i was like dang that guy's a tatted from head to toe and he's crying saying jesus and so anyway it really it radically touched my life yeah um, from that point on we ended up helping pioneer a church um about 100 miles from the portland metro area in eugene where the oregon ducks are go ducks Woo, duck fan <laughs> <laughs> sorry i had to do that shameless plug get it in so yeah we moved to eugene and, and then pioneered to work down there and man, I'm telling you, they 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 had just as just as bad of a problem with uh, drugs and streets and all that kind of stuff. And so I witnessed a lot of stuff down there. I was part of the street team initially, and then they were paying for a school of ministry with, that was connected to the Sons of God. And they would send us every weekend. We would go up there and take training classes, and then we would come back. TG was about a hundred miles, so we'd get up there, go train, and we did like um, they were like uh, fast track classes. And so we did that for like 14 months off and on. And so we finally got like a certificate of ministry to be able to do stuff. And, and then we started a youth group thing where we did a bunch of outreach and worked with youth and all that. At this time, I'd got out of the gang. You know, I was already doing well. And I just got married to, to, to my ex-wife. And we had our first daughter coming up. Um, yeah. In 1999, the first daughter was born um, in Eugene. And, and then after that, uh, probably about that year, it was off and on. We split. I, I, that's when I first went to LA. So the pastor was actually, it was, we were involved in a very, very toxic situation. It was not a good situation for, for our family, for us being young like that. Um, the pastor yeah. Was, you were, um, you were very young when you got married, right? How old yeah, were you I was that? 17. Yeah. I was 17 when we got married and she was 16. So yeah, we got married and we just thought, Hey, we're going to reach the world for Jesus. Blah, blah. We just, we really had that in our mind. Um, we were, we were trained to like, just obedience, 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 you know, all the time it was always, you know, your relationship with me is your relationship with God. And that's how the pastor would always tell us that. So we just nonstop day and night, we did fundraising and just like church. And anyhow, I went to LA for six months as a uh, missionary. They sent me to the projects. The housing projects were big hazards gang, one of the craziest gangs in East LA. And it just, it was a total shock to my system. Um, Cause I was from an, a gang up in Oregon that had migrated from there, but I didn't understand the reality of like, when I started seeing people die, I witnessed a couple overdoses and I saw a young man get shot um, when I was mm -hmm. doing security for the church. And I, I, I didn't understand that you had to have security for a church outside of a church. But I remember because we were in East LA at the time and 
So that was a shock to me. Anyhow, I ended up, he ended up having me come back to Oregon when I was like uh, around 20 or so. And then 2002, my ex-wife and I made a decision to leave. We had to leave that. We were there for almost five years. We, it was a very abusive situation, very controlling. And so we decided to, um, we decided to get up and leave, but she looked at me and said, if we ever come back here again, I'm not staying with you. This was horrible experience you know, and it took us forever to recover. I don't think we ever really fully recovered from that situation. I know she had struggled with it, um, even up to the point of when we separated, but we came back to Oregon or up to the, uh, where we're from, which is Hillsborough, Beaverton area. I just got a job, started cleaning carpet, doing all that kind of stuff. And years went by and our relationship was just falling apart. It was horrible. We had kids, of course, little babies at the time. And just a lot of spiritual experiences started taking place that I can't really explain. Like I would have uh, we, this house we lived in, we'd see like weird stuff like shadows and and we'd mm -hmm. start having weird, crazy dreams and like stuff would just like appear. And it, I just, I know this sounds crazy, but the place we were in, it was just really strange um, at the time. And then 2006 came around and I remember someone handed me a book and it was by Todd Bentley. And I didn't know who anything, I didn't know what prophetic stuff was. I didn't know any of that kind of stuff. <laughs> anything about healing or all that. I mean, I knew who Benny Hinn was. That was it. And this neighbor, he came across the street and he was like in his sixties. And he's like, listen, I've heard you scream at your wife. I've heard you cuss at her. I've heard you do all this stuff. I said, yeah, what's, what's your, I mean, like, what are you going to do about it? Like type thing. I had an attitude with him. Right. And he's like, here, read this book by this guy. This guy had a rough background, blah, blah, blah. And mm -hmm. I remember reading that book and that was the first entry into like God introducing me to like, supernatural in a way that i'd never really which is obviously natural it's nor it should be normal but it was you know at the time i didn't realize and i remember just crying and weeping after work um there was a part of the book where um he had a three-month season of his life where he was like day and night pressing into the and he, and he encountered the holy spirit and that that's part of the story rocked my entire being and i was like wait a minute this guy that came from drugs from gang you know, I, I, I knew the Lord from this other ministry I was in, but it was like, it was all demented inside. But this guy actually encountered the Holy Spirit and he came from my background. If he has access, then I have access, you know? And so yeah. I started thinking like that. And I met these guys in town. He, I went up to that guy and said, hey, this book really touched me. Can he introduce me to, you know, is there a church? And he's like, I'm glad you asked. I knew you would. We've been praying for you the whole time. And so I met these guys in a men's group and all these guys were like, like um you know ex-wife beaters and like <laughs> there's just some crazy stuff they're crazy dudes man and then like yeah they're like hey brother like they knew me like they'd already known me for a while because they've been praying for me and so mm -hmm. god touched my life through all that stuff and then i ended up meeting my friend uh who i'm still really really good friends with kenny and my friend fernando and i'm still good friends with both of them but as time went on um in between the time of like 2006 and i know it's crazy to skip but 2015 i'd gotten really sick i didn't take care of my health it became, you know, it dwindled over time. Um, my daughters were getting older and stuff. And so I ended up getting, um, on December 29th, 2015, um, I ended up having a brain injury and, you know, uh -huh. the night before that I had taken a bunch of opiates and I drink, I think it was like wine with it or something. I think it was wine mm -hmm. or something else with it. Anyhow, I was, I was trying to kill the pain in my body, but also trying to get that same feeling. Um, cause I was addicted and I woke up and I was blind. I couldn't see. I panicked. I freaked out and screamed. And I, I was like, where, you know, I, I yelled for my daughter to come in and she's like, what's wrong? And I said, I can't see. And so I went to the doctor and they said I'd suffered a, um, I, I had something called hypoxia. So during my sleep, I had a uh, lack of oxygen was going to my brain and I could have died from a stroke that night, but I didn't thank God, but I do wow. have permanent eyesight damage from all that. And then Little did I know um, from that moment all the way until 2021, I was going to be bed bound. And I was diagnosed through that time through home health services. They would come to the house and I was mean to them. I would be talking smack to them. And <laughs> I was very uncooperative. I had wounds eventually that could fit your whole fist in uh, that grew on the side of my leg. I gained substantial amount of weight to the point where I was over 700 pounds. And I was on, ended up getting on a breathing apparatus along with a CPAP by 2019 and 2019. Um, so in that period of time, there was just crazy stuff that happened. Um, 
uh, in regards to spirituality, you know, mental health, all that stuff. And I remember having, um, I remember having this uh, spiritual being that would like come to my room, this lady that I had seen for several years and she would sit down at the end of the end of the couch. Uh, there was a couch that was across from my hospital bed in my room and I would have caregivers that would sit there and she would just talk to me and I would talk to this thing. I know it sounds crazy and I've had, you know, deliverance and prayers since then, but that's why I'm comfortable talking about it. But, um, you know, you get so, my point in saying that is you get so dark and so deep into like sin and brokenness that you lose sight and you lose track of any kind of hope. And I think that's what happened to me was I just, I had lost all hope. I didn't think, you know, when the doctors were saying I had seven medical professionals and we're talking about people that deal with osteoporosis doctors that deal with bone care and then um, wound care and then infectious disease. And they were telling me you've got permanent damage to your right leg. You are not going to walk again. Even if you do lose weight and get to a goal weight, you're still not going to be able to use that leg because of all the muscle mass that has been, that has been depleted from for one, not using it because there's that saying, you know, you don't use it, you'll lose it. Um, that's what the doctor always used to tell me that all the time, you know, with your, in regarding to movement. And so being on the same, imagine being on the same side of your body and not moving for several years at a time. And that's what happened. Um, so, wow. so, so, time. Yeah. so let's see, let's, let's back up for a sec. So 2015 was when the blindness thing occurred. Yeah. And then, so December 29th, four days after Christmas, okay. I had, um, I started, I started, I started feeling different in my body though, about that November. In, when we moved back down to Eugene, I started feeling very, I started feeling very, like, very dizzy. And I started feeling like immobile, like I was having issues with my right, but I didn't think it was going to turn into that, you know, so, so what, I didn't what, really. Before that, you said you were already addicted to opiates. So when did that oh, yeah. start? That started happening in 2011. And what, what started that? What was the. Uh, I started having issues with my right leg. Um, I had uh, cellulitis infections. Um, sorry, I didn't mention that. I, I've had multiple cellulitis infections um, over the years when I would work and stuff. I would get these infections and my right leg would swell up and it was because there was an imbalance in the body for um, in my lymphatic system. So my the lymphedema in my right leg would swell up with water and it would turn red and get infected. And then I would get dizzy and then I got septic a couple of times and they would have to treat it, give me some IV antibiotics and then it would just be the same cycle. Well, that's why a lot of time, that's why a lot of the situation with the leg happened is because my body just couldn't handle it anymore. There was so much scar tissue and not to mention all the pain. So initially um, they basically just offered me, you know, pain, med a small amount of pain meds. Well, those didn't help and those didn't help and those didn't help. And there was very little regulation at that point. They started regulating everything like towards the end of, obviously I was already way addicted when, by that time they started doing that. Well, by the time they did all that, um, it be became part of my life. I was so addicted to the to the opiates that it was like it was like better than sex. It was better than a relationship. Things over time started, especially when I got bed bound. Relationships didn't matter. Uh, you know, uh, personal friendships didn't matter. It was all about when I was going to take the next one. So mm -hmm. I would literally count the time, watch a show. Oh, I got an hour and a half. Okay, I got an hour. Okay, I got a half hour. I mean, it, it, we're talking, that's how bad it got. Wow. And that became my life. And I would justify it in my mind. As long as I can justify why I was doing what I was doing, I kept doing it. And then I realized I had been ensnared. I'd been trapped, you know, uh, by my own choices. And when I, that, when I realized that in like 2019, 2020, that's when I started becoming suicidal. Cause I was like, Oh, wait a minute. Because I tried to attempt to get off um, in mid 2019. And I, and I don't know if anybody's ever been through a withdrawal holy smokes you'd rather die than go through a withdrawal i mean I, I, I it was the worst feeling i had ever experienced um i was trying to be tough about oh i got this i told my caregiver because i had caregivers at the time and no i i, I didn't have it <laughs> yeah. yeah i i had trapped myself i i mean i i mean i was shaking i was having cold sweats i was hearing no i was hallucinating it was just bad so how long how long was the withdrawal symptoms well that specific time was about a week and a half and it still didn't end for me okay because i was i was up to 250 to 260 milligrams a day on opiates now figure that out 
that's enough to kill a horse and a half. You know, uh, a Clydesdale. That would yeah. I mean, it's telling you. So, like, so would it be fair to say that the obsession, the way you described, like watching the clock for when you can take your next one? Oh yeah, there's this obsessive thing. But the obsession was more about the opioids. It really wasn't an obsession with food. Where where did the two intersect? Well, no, for the, you? the food the food was it was a co obsession because okay. I had multiple codependencies because you know for for me um, it was food was a was my relationship with my ex wife was so horrific and, mm. and very toxic that the way that I would deal with it or the way I would like try to tell myself in my mind was that you know I deserve this. And I'm going to eat this. And I love food. I come from yeah. a family that loves food. And I would buy. <laughs> this is so crazy. Even talking about this, just and I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because yeah. it just, I think back on it and I go, dang, like, I can't believe mm. I did that. I would mm. order four or five burritos and just polish them off within like half hour. Now I've got a good one. Say- when we say burrito, like, are we talking like Chipotle Bro, we're, we're talking, we're, we're talking about we're talking about uh, unhinged type burrito that's just like leaking juices and meats and stuff. And I say this, <laughs> extra, and I got the extra meat, the extra sour cream. My buddy, my buddy who's, <laughs> my buddy, his name's Daniel. And I, I don't know, a lot of people know who he is. That he, he's the one that used to be with Todd. Dan, so I talk, he's my one of my best friends. I talk to him all the time. And I told him all this when I first, we first started talking and he was dying. And I said, bro, you got to understand. It was, it was like, I, I, I needed an exorcist, bro. It was horrible. Like <laughs> <laughs> I would pack those burritos out with, and, and I, and I would freak out if I didn't get my extra guacamole and you know, the guy my size, you're going to know if you're missing the extra guacamole or not, you're going to fight for it, you know? And so I would have these burritos and I would just turn them into a crime scene. I would just open these things up and there'd be food here and there sauce. And I mean, there was like yellow tape and everything around my bed. I mean, I turned it, I mean, I turned, it was horrible, bro. Shock outline. Crazy, crazy, crazy thing. I got so bad into my addiction that there was this fat, this, well, he wasn't fat initially, this rat. And I nicknamed him hungry. And I told Daniel that this, and he's like, you got to tell, I said, no, I don't want to tell anybody about this, but this is a, the, the world premiere for hungry, the rat. I had this rat that would come up from because eventually when I moved out of there, we found out there was a family of rats living under my bed. This is nasty. I know to talk about, but it's just being, I'm just being real, man. Yeah, man. So this, this thing would go on the ledge and we had these old 1960s type window ledges that the house was built. It was really old. And this rat would come up every day and I would look at it and I'm like, what? Like, I would look at it. Like, it's like, why are you staring at me type thing? You know? And so eventually I was like, maybe he's hungry. So I would, I would get, cause I would order food every day. And I would pay like DoorDash drivers on the side extra tips and stuff to come to my house because my daughters would intercept them. If my daughters caught one of them, it was a risk. It was like working for the cartel, but in a food way. And if my daughters, <laughs> if my daughters would catch them, they they would come in and go, "Hey, Dad, you looking for this?" And they wouldn't give me the food, you know, because they would catch me. And so this this rat came up, and I started nicknaming him Hungry because every time I'd leave a little Chipotle or a little something on the on the thing, he would eat it. Dude, like three or four months afterwards, the guy started gaining weight. The, the rat started getting fatter. I'm like, wait, he's actually gaining weight and stuff. And eventually he disappeared, but I nicknamed him Hungry because I actually started talking to this rat that would come on the um, that would come on the ledge and stuff. But that's how that's how wow. demented things kind of get, you know, when you're yeah. when you're isolated. I was isolated for almost six years with no not leaving, and, and my my room was black most of the time because I would mm-hmm. have sheets up because my eyesight was hurting so bad. So right. I was doing all these opiates. I was eating all this food and I was isolated in a room and I would tell my caregivers they need to leave the lights off. And, you know, it was just bad, man. The whole situation was as, as, as dark as you can think. I mean, when it comes to that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Man. So backing up to when <laughs> were you always a big guy or did it just like accelerate? Like I've crazy always been kind of big. Kids? Yeah. I've always dealt with like weight stuff, but I've always been mobile and very strong. You know, okay. I've always worked a full-time job, you know, all that kind of stuff. It wasn't until, you know, 2015 that, that things really got bad. And I started gaining really a ton of weight. It just took off from there. We're talking two or 300 pounds within a five-year period of just, you know, and I probably was well over 700, but the, the scaling of the bed only read like the 714, but it was, it was able to go further probably, you know, than that. Um, the bed had already been broken and it was already kind of lopsided. So my back was always hurting and it was just, 
yeah, it was a mess. I've always been kind of a bigger guy, big bone guy, my twin and I, but um, he was always healthier than me. Um, he passed away in 2013. He was murdered, actually. Um, mm -hmm. He was part of the, when he got paroled, he was planning on changing his life around. And and I remember him sitting at the table, uh, the dinner table at my mom's. And he was like, and he started crying. I had not seen my brother cry since we were kids. Um, we were, that, that, we are polar opposites when it comes to empathy. And he does, he was more of a tough guy, like always trying to be controlling and mm. with me and stuff, you know, because I have to look out for my brother Matt, even though he would call mm. me his young, little brother, even though I was seven months apart or seven minutes apart. And so he, uh, he cried. And I said, Hey, what's wrong? And he goes, man, I don't know anything else. I've been in prison since I was 15. I'm 32 now. I've only been out like two weeks or two, yeah, it was two weeks mm -hmm. and you know, five and a half months after he was out, he was killed by his own friends. I mean, the whole thing was tragic. It was sad because he, he did have a heart for like, he wanted to know the Lord. He wanted to get his life right, but he just couldn't, you know? And, and uh, yeah, so they, they basically wow. killed him and <clears throat> that weighed on my conscience a lot because I wanted to, he did some pretty horrific things to me when I was younger I don't want to get into that right now, um, sure. but just you can imagine there was just some really, really bad stuff. Mm. And I wanted to tell him that I forgave him for that stuff. and I never got a chance. So I really, I think some of that played into me, you know, getting really sick and being bed bed. I'm not going to blame that on it, but there was just a combination. Everything was a perfect storm yeah. by the yeah. time I did become bed bound. And I'd never had treatment like, like uh, in regards to like uh, counseling and all that stuff up to that point. So I didn't start yeah. getting that until a couple of years ago for the first time. When, uh -huh. I became, when I started losing weight and getting out of the bed, that was the first time, yeah. you know, 40 years old getting counseling for the first time. You yeah. Know? So. When, when, uh, at some point there, I know we were, we were talking uh, before we started recording about the marriage getting really crappy, but where did it start to go off? It always kind of was, man, because the way we did things in the beginning, we just, we were so young, we got married and we never dealt with our own upbringing and own, you know, life. And we just lived in this survival mode constantly. I mean, we had patches of good times, you know, very far few in between, but I think it was just, a lot of it was constant fighting and putting each other down. And, you know, in my, my part of it, the part that I want to own the most is, you know, I actually knew that I had a responsibility I was smart enough to know that I had a responsibility to pray for my children and pray for my wife at the time mm -hmm. and try to do the best I can to try to navigate the family um, according to what the scripture saying. I didn't do that. I knew better than that. Mm -hmm. And I thought I could do things on my own. And I felt like I had a right to like be upset all the time. It was kind of weird because I worked hard and, mm -hmm. you know, I was taking everything. So I have a right and you're going to listen. And that's kind of how I thought I was a jerk. I was a piece of crap. Um, I mean, I don't know any other way to, any way, any other way to define it. Um, but she, she would fight back, you know, and say stuff and pray and say stuff, or she would instigate or start stuff, you know, try to get me going and stuff. And it was just back and forth all the time. But the thing that gets me is I remember in the beginning, she did her best to try to like be that wife when we were young. And over time it deteriorated because of the way I was, I was so aggressive and just disrespectful and you know i would say things that were very hurtful you know so i think that's i don't know so that's that's where it was okay so it was always uh, a cycle of fighting arguing struggle and then things got accelerated when you had the blindness and then the opioid addiction and everything is like snowballing oh so yeah. how did it was snowballing point, from, from, from the beginning of since 20 years ago I mean, yeah. from 20 years from the time it was, there was never really, I always noticed that God always tried to give me a way out though. And always tried to make a way for me to change. And like, he brought people into my life and I just refused. I'm one of those guys that's had grace and mercy. Like you wouldn't believe like, like God has like favored me. And I'm just like, yeah, I'll take a dump on that. And it, I know that sounds horrible to say because some people don't get that kind of mercy, you know, or, or that kind of grace. But I felt like he's always, like, I, I love you so, and that's why when God touched me, you know, when I, when I finally got touched and I got out of that bed, I, I, I had been, you talk about gratefulness and like mercy and everything. You talk about all that stuff. You know, I, 
I had experienced it on a level that I had never experienced it. And it completely shattered um, because I'd always been scared that God won't. I always had this thought in my mind that the Lord wants to hurt me. You know, he wants to punish me. I know that sounds crazy, but that's how I always looked at him. I've always looked at him as this authoritarian guy. And I would argue with him in my mind or I would, I would mention it. And I would say, well, all you're going to do is just try to hurt me if I give my life to you. You're going to try to give me some kind of trial that I can't handle. Or I know that sounds twisted, but that's how I thought. You're going to give yeah. me some kind of thing that I can't handle. And, you know, and you're going to try to say oh, it was for the better or for the good. And I said, why would you do that to me anyway? That's twisted. That's how the conversations I would have with God. And I would just say, man, I just don't really like you. Like I would say stuff like that, you know, but really was that a hurt and pain, you know, and it was just how, how much no of that, hope. how much of that tied together with your experience with your father? Was there like a big crossover? Oh, that yeah. You were projecting? yeah. Well, my, my biological dad, I never really got super close with him. Um, I know he did the best he could for, for that was, but he left when we were, he left when we were two years old. And then um, had another family and stuff, even though he kept close to us and did his thing, it was just really hard. Um, my dad was very, um, uh, he was very, uh, very bold kind of guy and very like business oriented and stuff. And I know that he loved his family, but it was just very hard for him, I think, to show in some areas. And then my stepdad was an alcoholic when I was growing up until I was like 13. Okay. And so he, would, he, would, he did some pretty hardcore stuff to us, you know, hit us okay. different things. And that's how he dealt with things. And so, so, the, so um, the harshness, the harshness of that stepfather. Well, well, yeah, was there was never really. Yeah, well, okay. for me, there was never really feeling or experiencing like um, a deep, deep connection or love with a father type thing. Mm -hmm. And so, my my perception or paradigm of that, my entire even adult life, um, it was crazy because I always used to tell myself, "I'm never going to be like that. I'm never mm -hmm. going to uh, exemplify that to my kids." You know, and then when my kids would do things, I would yell at them or, you know, and believe me, I'll tell you one thing. If you yell at your kids or you say something, they will never let you forget it. Never let you forget it um, until the end of time, especially when they're teenagers. They have it all. It's all there. Trust me. It's all. It's all. It's in the code. <laughs> yeah. you know, oh, it, it totally is. And it's going to be it will be missled at you if you've done anything, if you've done anything wrong especially if they want to get makeup or something and they're girls and, or they want to go out and some kind of, you know, kind of, trust me, I've been through all that. And the, the cool <laughs> and thing is though, is three daughters, you get the right? and you yeah, have three daughters. daughters, I have a 24 year old. Yeah. Yeah. Three daughters. I have a 24 year old, a 21 year old and a 19 year old. Fantastic. So, and um, so, so yeah. jumping, jumping back to the forward again. So let's say, at what point do you remember the moment that like you got in the bed for the last time before you became bed bound? Oh, I remember the day. Yeah. Talk about the day. <laughs> I was watching Breaking Bad the night before. And that's when I took some opiates. And then I had this, my dad, my stepdad has worked in a, in a by the way, I'm very close to my stepfather, very close to him. And now, um, and even before my dad passed, I was, I was, close to my dad you know i was working on you know all that the relationship and talking to him and, mm -hmm. but he was getting sicker so it was kind of hard to communicate but so i want to make that clear is that i i worked on those relationships and stuff over time but okay. anyhow yeah so i was it was um, this was december 29th 2000 or december 28th 2015 um, a few days after christmas i was watching a series of breaking down in my room <laughs> laying in the bed at this time my ex-wife and i had separated and lived in separate rooms not separated but we just slept in separate rooms it was okay. just kind of one of those things and i was watching the show yeah i'd opened up a bottle of my dad's wine or my stepdad's wine because he worked at a vineyard and i drank the whole bottle and then took some opiates and passed out yeah. woke up in the morning and that's when that's when it happened and not okay. only that i was already having issues but because i couldn't see straight and i couldn't walk and mobilize myself and be stable mm. i stayed in that bed and i said oh man i can't see so i started like urinating and you know my uh, one of those things called the uh, urinals and I got one of those and then home health came and checked on me like a week later and I said I can't get up to go to the bathroom and they ordered me a bedpan well because I started staying there my legs started getting worse and worse and worse and then mm. I, I realized one day I couldn't even move it and I was in trouble and I knew I was in trouble mm. um, it took me months and months and months to start getting a little bit of sight back and not have these panic attacks because 
They thought I had Meniere's disease, but I was too heavy to go inside of a CT scan. So I couldn't get checked at the uh, Oregon Health and Sciences University on, um, in Portland where they check all that stuff for you know made things. And so mm-hmm. I couldn't fit in what they called the donut to get the CT scan done. So they were just like, well, you're kind of, you're kind of in limbo. And then you got to do the best. I said, do the best I can. What do you, so that freaked me out when I was in that situation. And then COVID happened. Yeah. And uh, COVID happened fast forward. That was 2020, but there was a lot of issues with that too, when it came to trying to get my, my situation taken care of, because I was trying to, anyway. Yeah. So that, I remember, I remember when I couldn't walk a, a walk again for the last time and that freaked me out. And I also remember the diagnosis when the paramedics had to pick me up for an appointment in 2017, two years later in the fall, they took me to an appointment with the doctor and I was seeing a specialist and they're like, Hey, you know, you don't have any muscle on the right side of your calf area. I mean, it's completely depleted. If you put your hand on it, you would literally feel this flat part of muscle. That was like the, this weird layer, not the top layer, but there was layers missing and it was weird how he explained it. And it was actually painful to the touch. He's like, yeah, what you're feeling there is like, you don't have the part that where, you know, it gives you enough strength to hold all that weight up, my friend. And he says, and plus your heart, my heart was enlarged. So there was just a lot of bad stuff, a lot of bad news in one day. Yeah. So I just, I just remember, you know, hearing one bad thing after another, just to kind of accepting my fate the way it was mm-hmm. and feeling like, okay, God allowed this to happen, even though I was me that did it. Um, it was my choices. Um, and just thinking like, okay, well, I guess I'm never, and one big thing in my mind is I always felt like somehow, even when I was a little boy, that God had called me to do something. Mm. And I even knew what it was. It was just like, it was just this, this thing. And I remember two prophets had said the same thing, but they didn't know me. And they said, you're going to love people that no one wants to love. And you're going to embrace people that no one wants to embrace. Those are going to be your people. And you're going to love them like they're your own. And I just never, I never really understood that until like a year ago, you know, Mm. when I started putting stuff together in my mind, but that two different people said that to me. Um, And they said the same thing that I've had a couple other, you know, because I'm really weary about people just throwing words at me and saying stuff. I'm kind of like, okay, you know, it's like a Cracker Jack prize kind of, you know, Um, but I do believe people are real. And I do believe people that, you know, or called the Lord to do that stuff. And I respect the office and I respect the call and all that, but it just, I've just been weary of it because I've seen so much, so much stuff out there, man, that you just, I kind of just like fall back and go, Oh, I'd rather just stay in my lane and focused on this, you know? So, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. So, so at what point do you feel like um, things started to change where you're like, I can't, where it became I should change to I must change. Uh, June 2020. Okay. Okay. Yeah. June 2020 for sure. Um, I remember seeing my little grandbaby, uh, my first grandbaby. She wasn't quite three yet. She was in the backyard. And I was le- looking over into the backyard from my hospital bed with my machine on. I was still 700 pounds, naked in the bed, all that stuff. And I remember just being suicidal the whole month of June, 2020 and just going, man, I'm going to miss her. I'm going to, I kept thinking I'm going to miss her. You know, I'm never going to see her grow up, graduate. I'm never going to see anything. Mm-hmm. And I said, and I kept battling, I have to do this. I have to do this. And I just remember all this stuff happening. And then, you know, okay, well, I'm still alive. July came by. Well, at the end of July, my caregiver who I counted on for everything, his name's Adam. I love this guy. He's actually an atheist or an agnostic still is too doesn't believe doesn't like christians and he's not really friendly to he's a nice guy he's a wonderful guy he's just not a friendly dude like when it comes to christians because he's been kind of like lied to and hurt but the crazy thing is this guy was like instrument god used this guy to like keep me alive mm. and then god used this guy who was an agnostic atheist guy to bring me back to him go figure that and so he basically came to my house one day and said i'm done i'm not coming in no more um i can't handle seeing you eat yourself to death and I'm not, I'm just not going to be part of it anymore. Uh, I think it's a bunch of bullshit. And so wow. you want to do that? You want to ask someone else to help you, man? That's fine. But this guy, though, up to this point was, you know, feeding me, you know, healthy. He was trying to feed me healthy stuff. He was changing my bodily stuff, helped me clean, which I could die if I didn't get it clean. Um, I don't want to tell him anybody I had caregivers that didn't do their job. So it left me, it left him being the sole person, mm-hmm. you know? 
that was uh, primarily responsible for my care for a lot of things. And I said, no, 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 it's fine. I won't ask for anything. I won't ask for anything. He's like, whatever, man. So the next day he didn't come in and he didn't come in the day after that. And so I started crying. I, like a baby, I was, this is like the end of July, 2020. And I, I told him, I'm going to kill myself if you don't come in. You son of a, I was freaking out on him. And I was like, you piece of blah, 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 blah. And he's like, yeah, that's not going to make me come in, dude. And so I was just <laughs> on him. I mean, he was in the Navy. And this guy actually has a beautiful heart, though. It's the craziest thing what happened, man. Because he ended up moving into my house and, like, caregiving and, like, sleeping in the couch next to my bed. And he would, like, this, and this is going to sound crazy, you know. And it's not, it sounds weird to some people, but this guy would rub my back when I couldn't breathe and I thought I was going to die. And he's like, hey, man, you're going to be okay, Matt. Like, you're going to be okay. He had that kind of empathy. Yeah. He was yeah. so prideful that he's like, oh, I'm gay. Or like, none of that. He was just a very kind, empathetic guy. When it came to that stuff, he just wasn't friendly towards people that were phony. He didn't like yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. But he was very empathetic. So anyway, he would rub my back. He's like, you're going to breathe okay, bro. You're going to make it through, man. Like, you're going to be good, man. Why don't you just, like, pray to God or whatever? Like, you pray to God? He's like, don't you believe in God? <laughs> just, oh. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, look look what it's done for you, man. And and he would just, like, just kidding. But it was, like, kind of, like, you know, <laughs> tongue-in-cheek stuff. Yeah, bro, he would throw, like, side stuff like that. He's like, wow, that's a pretty cool God, man. Leaves you in bed like that and stuff. Anyway, that, that's a long story. He would throw those things at me. But um, so what happened was is that um, the end of... I think it was because August 4th was was the final day. It was it was the judgment day for me. August 4th, 2020 at midnight. So he didn't come in for the third day and I just freaked out. I cried. I said, I'm sorry. I apologize. I finally put down my killed my pride. I said, I can't do this without you. And he goes, I'll be there tomorrow at eight. So he comes in, he sits down, he goes, Listen, man, I love you, bro. Like a bro. Like I love you, man. And I said, But you're eating yourself to death. I mean, you can I take a picture and show you what I see every day? And I was like, and he, I'm not degrading. I just want, he took a picture and I have that picture. I'll show you sometime, man. I'll send it to you. But it showed me just laying there with a mask on, belly hanging out. Like, dude, I mean, I didn't even have a wiener, bro. Like, I was so, like, any pride of a man. I'm just being real, man. Yeah. I had, I, I had a yeah. Puxatoni fill, which means it was Groundhog Day. My, you know, it was just bad. That thing, I mean, it was just, I was in a bad shape. And so he's like, yeah, dude. So you, you know, this is what I see every day. And, I can't do it anymore. It's like, I feel like I'm contributing to your death. And he would mm. say this to me and he like started getting teary eyed. And so I knew that he really meant what he was saying. Yeah. And, you know, me always trying to make a joke or a lie to stuff. I'm like, well, what do you mean, man? Like, like I, how about this? How about I just get like one or two? He goes, no, dude, I can't come here and have me this, but I will make a deal with you. He goes, I'll give it, I'll make you, I'll, I'll offer you a deal. And then you offer me a deal. And we'll see if we'll take it. We'll see if we can be halfway. He goes, I will pay for vegan food, one, one meal of the vegan food dish every single day for you for six months. You don't have to pay for it at all. That's the only way I'm going to stay. I'll, I'll offer that to you if you do it. The other thing is if I find out you even get any DoorDash or anything like that, I'm leaving. If your daughters tell me, if anybody tells me, I'll find out. And I know who the other DoorDash person that you found on Facebook is because you've been paying them under the table. <laughs> I had a DoorDash driver. I was tipping all the time. It was so bad. I'm like, here's 20 bucks on Venmo. Bring me two burritos, man. Right? You so should anyway, train the rat to go get you something. Bro, it was so bad. <laughs> Dude, yeah. Then I had Hungry the Rat. Of course, he's my friend. Um, you know, what, what more can he ask for? So he was like, okay, here's what's going to happen. This is all over if you do this. What's your proposal? And I said, I just want I just want to do one last hoorah with McDonald's. That's it. I said, I just want one last hoorah with McDonald's. And here's what I want. I just want, uh, I want five Big Macs. I want extra sauce, no lettuce, blah, blah, blah. I had this certain regimen. I went by five yeah. large fries, three large Cokes. It was huge. And he's like, okay, fine. He goes, I'm not happy about it, man. And I'm not going to be here when you're doing it. He goes, I feel like I'm walking a drug addict, put a bunch of heroin into his arm. <laughs> right, so, ODing. Um, yeah, so I, so I had it. I ate the burgers and I didn't go back. I did it the next day. I felt like crap. And I'm like, man, can I just get one burger? And he's like, no, dude, we're not doing this. So he went and got me the food and one week went by. And I started feeling a little tiny different. Two weeks went by, three weeks went by. And then I started feeling the mask. I took the mask off for five minutes. And I was like, wait a minute, I like how I feel. I started dropping weight. And then all of a sudden, 
November comes around, I start, I met these guys online that were into intermittent fasting and no one knew my story at this point. I was just, I was delving into stuff, trying to find ways to lose weight because I started feeling better. Yeah. So I met this guy named Brian Peters online. He's from the UK. He runs this huge intermittent fasting uh, lifestyle page. He has like almost 200,000 members and he's just a good dude. And I joined his group and I started learning what intermittent fasting was and how to like properly time your meals and all that stuff. So I started doing that. Well, I got this funny, my buddy was like, Hey, there's this thing where you can take that's actually like a, a meal or a, a protein supplement and it's derivative of uh, amino acids. It's a, um, essential amino acids the body requires. And so you can take that and said, why don't you try it? And people have been fasting on it. And so I was like, okay. So I got excited. I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to fast as long as I can. Well, I went on a 25-day fast in November. I missed Thanksgiving that year. My daughters were shocked. They came in the room and go, Dad, you just passed up homemade tamales, homemade tortillas, turkey that's deep fried. I said, yep. I mean, we were freaking proud of you, man. Like, you're a stud. And I was like, I am? Like, you know, like, I am? Like, <laughs> But it was crazy. So what happened was the 22nd day, I don't know if I told you this already, but the 22nd day of the 25th day at about two or three in the morning, something like walked into my room and sat on my bed and I couldn't see it. But I, the only thing I can tell you right now, imagine being hugged or by a, like the warmest blanket you've ever had. And it was the most powerful, overpowering spirit of love and peace I'd ever felt in my entire life. Call it Jesus, whatever. Yeah, some people say, oh, that was Jesus. Well, I don't know. I can't tell you because I didn't see him. They, oh, that was an angel. I don't know if it was an angel. I'm not one of those guys that tries to make up stuff. Jeez. I just, all I, all I know is what I felt and that there was an imprint on my bed and something sat on my bed. And I felt a hand on my leg. It felt like a hand. And it was the most peace. And I started crying and I said, uh, I said, Lord, is that you? And I said, oh man, I'm so sorry. And blah, blah, blah. I was like pouring out your heart. And I remember just laying there and I remember falling asleep and having a dream that I was 10 years old again. And I opened up the front door that a childhood house I was in. That was like a nightmare because all the stuff we went through, but I opened it up and there was a pile of snow outside. It was the most weirdest thing. It was like snow and I was playing in the snow with my twin and like we were having fun. And I woke up feeling so much peace. That peace didn't leave for like four or five days. I remember just crying for hours and just going, man, what the heck is this? And I never forgot that. I've been chasing it ever since. Honestly, I missed that feeling because I didn't have to do anything. It just kind of showed up. Um, but I, I mean, I fasted. Don't get me wrong. I fasted. And that was brutal. Um, by the way, if you after you fast about seven or eight days, you lose complete hunger. It's a little secret people don't realize. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, You lose complete hunger. You don't even, you're not even hungry anymore. And if yeah. people can get past that stage, um, then you'll, you, you know, yeah, it'll surprise people. And you feel like this, superhuman strength i can't explain it i remember how amazing i felt after like the eighth ninth tenth i was like i can't believe i just did this you know and so after that happened that experience that really changed that that was the beginning of changing a lot of wounds and different things because i was like i started praying going lord was that really you did you come in my room you sneaker like was that like i mean were you like showing up like because that, that was cool that was gangster i like that like, can we do that again? I really, I really, Jonathan, I wanted that so bad. Um, it was such a peaceful feeling that um, I was just, oh, I can't explain it. If I would have died that night, it would have been fine. I would have been cool with it. I would have been like, okay. Um, nothing could have invaded that that room that night, that peace. I remember mm -hmm. seeing that the little blue light that I had coming from the side of my table because I had, I, I was playing a lot of the, um, worship on like Bethel worship on repeat uh, at that yeah. time and I remember playing the uh, the Bethel instrumental album they had the first one mm. and I remember one of the songs came on and I remember hearing that little switch thing in the wind sound and and I just that's when it happened it was just anyway it was just funny it was it was so powerful I never forgot it um, but mm. then I started meeting a bunch of people online in January of that year of, of 2021 a couple yeah. months later and that's when things took off you know, that's when I, my story went around the world and things just rapidly started happening. I started getting contacted by Tony Robbins, like people, you know, from all around the world and stuff. And it just like shocked me. I was like, whoa, because my daughter was like, dad, you need to post this online that you're doing this. I got mm -hmm. on TikTok and had like 100,000 people uh, that saw one of my first videos. So yeah, it, it started taking off from there. 
Wow. So, so it hasn't so really what, slowed down at all since then. Yeah. What does <laughs> it look like nowadays? Like, are you still doing intermittent fasting? Are you lifting weights or walking or like what? Yeah. Is, so what is, in 2022, unfortunately, I was in a relationship. You know, I was coming out of a relationship that I was in that I shouldn't have been in. I'd met somebody, some lady met me online and she reached out and goes, oh, you're amazing. Told me everything I've never been told. And, oh, you can come live with me in LA and blah, blah, blah. Don't worry. God doesn't mind, you know? And I was like, okay, cool. God doesn't mind, you know? And this person loved God. They were a teacher in their church. Um, they made a lot of you know, good money. Oh, I'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. And it just ended up nothing like that. It was, I ended up getting shipped back to Oregon in February, 2022. And I was heartbroken, beat up. Um, you know, I'd made a lot of mistakes too. I want to make sure, you know, that's known. I, yeah. I didn't, it was a lot of, it was me, but I wasn't ready for a relationship and I caused a lot of damage in that situation too. And so even mm -hmm. though God had started to heal me and stuff, I was not ready for any kind of thing. I mean, she did the best she could to work with me and different things, but it just was not, it was not timing was not okay. Gotcha. And so gotcha. when I came back to Oregon last year, I, I had gained probably like a hundred something plus pounds back. And it was just, I was just. I wasn't eating like crazy like I was before, but I was just eating whatever I wanted, you know, I wasn't watching my health. So, but I got back on track towards the end of last year, been on track ever since. And I get up at five 30 in the morning. The key is man is self-discipline. Mm. You can motivate someone till they're blue in the face, but self-discipline is always going to take precedence over any motivation. I mean, I can mm. tell you like, you're amazing. You're awesome. You got this brother, you, you know, <clears throat> and that's why I, I'm not putting down Facebook you know, because I've got tons of followers that have reached out all around the world. And it's, yeah. and I'm not saying it's superficial, but a lot of times it's when someone says stuff, it's just in the spare of the moment. And because I've worked with a lot of people, I've coached some people and different people. And, and it's really hard to get people to dedicate to something when, you know, they're not, they're not ready to change. And I've learned that, you know, um, and I think the biggest thing is, is having, uh, is, is being committed to like your, uh, being committed to the whole thing. You, you have to really want to do it and self-discipline. There's no shortcuts. There's no way around it. If you, if you decide to do intermittent fasting, you got to stick with your regimen because what you're trying to do is recalibrate your metabolism, your mm -hmm. metabolism. You have to reset all that stuff. And the way to do that is fasting. There's no other way around it. And you've got to set that one meal aside or two meals, whatever decide or whatever plan you decide to do, you've got to stick with it. And because your body will get used to it, it'll adjust accordingly, and then you'll start losing weight. But I think people have a hard time with that because it requires doing the same thing, you know, all the time, every day. But that's what it is. There's no magic pill. Mm -hmm. I get tired of people saying, oh, my shake does this, and my shake. I've had people try to, you know, sponsor me and send me stuff, and I've tried a couple things, and I just figured out it's all the same, man. It's just a different name. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sorry to say that, but that's that's my conclusion on all that stuff because... I mean, there's a good product I take right now that really helps me with, uh, that I take that's helped me lose all, the, you know, cause I've lost a hundred pounds since March and yeah. it's getting, it's getting back, you know, it's taking essential amino acids. It's doing the exercise, but I, I do something called hit, which is high interval training in the morning. And it's about yeah. 10 minutes of the X3 bar, which is just retention bands, retention bands, cause you get your cardio and then you get your muscle work in and all that stuff. So it's not about killing yourself to try to look at, to be all, you know, it's just sticking with a solid regimen and, you know, and not, and going back, it's, it's slow and steady really does win the race. It, it's not about like, it's not about like, I need to do this now. No, no, no. Unfortunately, I tried all that. It doesn't work. It takes time. Mm. So the consistency yeah. and the discipline is really yep. or yep. message. Kind of like my lack of consistency with my haircut. I need to get a haircut again. I've been very inconsistent with my haircut. That's why I got a man bun going on. <laughs> so I've got to get this all straight. But once I'm consistent with that, it'll look better. You got to do what you got to do. You, know? <laughs> Please, you have something to work with. So that's hey, good. man, I had a shaved head for 20 years, though. My whole head's covered in tattoos. Oh, I have a okay. whole head of, I have a helmet of tattoos, and I just started growing my hair out just like two and a half years ago. Oh, so this is I, new. Too bad, man. We could have been like 20. We could have been 20. Oh. I know. And you know, one one thing that you, you shared before, and I, I'd love to hear um I'd love to have everybody be able to hear this, but uh the there was a minister that called you regularly and encouraged you and talked with you. Share a little bit of that story because I, I think it's important for people to hear this. Uh the the minister I told you about earlier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you want me to say his name? 
go for it. Yeah. So basically, um, like I remember, like so when I was in the bed, when I was in the bed, um, yeah. in the very beginning, uh, when I wasn't even like starting my journey, it was Todd, you know, Todd Bentley, whatever, would talk to me, and we would connect with each other, and I'd reach out to his wife, and she's like, "Yeah, let me hook you up with Todd. Let me talk," you know. And so Todd would get on the phone. He would just encourage me. He's like, "Man, even when he was going through some of his hardest times in his ministry and in his situation, he was just like, bro, you got this.'" You know, he prayed with me and encouraged me and stuff. And the guy was going through hell, but yet he was like, he would like reach out to me. You know, it's kind of funny because, you know, I, there was times where I would try to get other people to reach out to me or try to, you know, people that didn't know how bad it was. And I would say something or like try to reach out. And they're like, nah, or they would ignore me and that's fine. But then when I, when they thought I had a bunch of followers and all this stuff, they would reach out to me. And man, I, I absolutely don't dig that, that, that just sets a fire under me, man. So but Todd, no, he reached out to me when I was a nobody and just kind of, uh, you know, when I would reach out to Jess, she would pray with me and stuff. It was cool. They were cool. They were just wow. real to me and raw. So I have a lot of love for them, always will because of that. And, um, you know, yeah, it means a lot to me, you know, because I was in a really, really, really bad spot. And I would, you know, I don't think Todd really knew how bad I was because I didn't really say, but I would have to like use my inhaler and take the mask off and on. And, um, you know, when he would, uh, when he would be uh, talking to me and praying with me and stuff. But yeah, he would say, you know, this is what you give me a scripture and you just tell me like, Hey, you got to keep pushing forward. You know, it's really hard where we all go through a lot of stuff and I could hear like his, just, he was really like, like, Hey man, I'm going through this too. I'm going through a lot of stuff too, but you can do it. You know? And it was like, and it wasn't just a pep talk. It was like authentic. So and I know when someone's being real when they're not, you know, and so that meant a lot to me when he was doing that. He did that with me a few times. And then he talked to me in LA too, before I came back, uh, him and Jess talked to me on the phone for like an hour and a half. And we're talking to my ex fiance and stuff and just saying, Hey, you know, um, is this the right thing to do? And, you know, really reassess this and stuff. So yeah, they really got some stuff invested in me and I really appreciated them so much. The thing is I've never met him in person and I've always wanted to. So oh. it's kind of the thing that I, I hope I'm, I'm, I know I'm going to eventually, but yeah, so it was, they've really been helpful. And then my two other friends, too. Um, uh, the guy that I'm friends with right now, that's actually when I was just getting back on my dream this last year, was Daniel. His name Daniel McCormick. I don't know if you know who he is. But he's, I still he's, the name. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Oh, man. He's a, yeah, he's a, he has a ministry called New Breed Rising. And wow. he just reached out to me and just he would pray with me on the phone. And then my friend Kenny. Uh, Kenny was actually a graduate of um, Jeff Jansen's old uh, school of ministry in 2011, 2012. Uh, he graduated with um, Charlie Champ's brother yeah, and a lot of those guys. So yeah, they're just good dudes, man. They, they've been with me. Like Kenny's been with me from the very beginning. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been a blessing to have just a few of those people that have been like, Hey, no matter what you're going through, um, I'm here with you. So Dude, I, I just, I'm so glad we took a moment to honor that because I, I think it's so important. Like we're not, yeah, even when it feels like we're so alone there, it's, it's so powerful to have some other men who connect and are like, I see you. I understand what you're going through. I care. I'm cheering you on. Yeah. Like, man, those masculine relationships can be a lifesaver and those darkest oh, yeah. moments. And I, I just... You know, I, there's there's a lot there's a lot of opinions and stuff that you know Todd has done right, things Todd has done wrong, but I, I think it's amazing just to to hear that side that people don't get to hear, and I I want to make sure that we we highlighted that because it just man that's beautiful, and I, I just love the fact that you shared you shared so many different things. You know, we got to hear about hungry the rat we got to hear about doordash we got to hear the story of adam and, and journey with you and your wife and your dad and your stepdad and oh my gosh i mean we went we went on a journey here and I, yeah. matt i'm i'm so excited <laughs> for where for where this is going like you said it you said it before yeah, we started like I, you said i'm in the middle of the story and i i love that like you're not at the yeah. end not everything's done but oh, it's no. like you're I'm, work, I'm working at it, man. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, um, I, still, I still got 200 something pounds to lose, man. You okay. know, I still got a bunch of weights to lose. So I'm in the middle of it. I'm, 
anybody that's on that same journey, I'm with you. I'm not, I'm not arrived. I've, I'm not at my goal weight. I haven't had my skin removed yet. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I got to do still. And I just have, you just have to keep pressing in, you know, and staying close to people that really, you know, that really care about you too. I think, uh, you know, where you, if you try to do it like a lone ranger, it doesn't work. I've tried all that. We need community, you know, um, especially people that, that love us and have their vested interest in us. And then even the haters, the people, because I get people that say stuff to me all the time. You wouldn't believe some of the stuff I hear. Mm -hmm. But even them, you know, there's a reason why they're like that, because I was like that. I mean, I had a I had a, a side moniker back in the day called Ronald McDonald, and I would go troll people online just to be a jerk sometimes. I know that sounds crazy, but I, I would do that. So I, I get why people do what they do. I've been in their shoes. I know what it is to hate myself and then go out there and then trash on people because I didn't like myself. And so I, when I deal with people like that, that's how I look at individuals that they're suffering and, you know, they need, they need someone to love them too, man. Just like I did, like someone loved me. So Mm. it is what it is. That's so good. I don't know if you follow Gary Vaynerchuk. You probably, I don't know. You probably met him or something, but do you know, you know what I mean? Gary Vaynerchuk. Gary Vaynerchuk. Oh man. Why have I heard that name? He's like a big, big marketing guy, but he's he's a really fun uh, personality uh, to follow. And he, but he talks about haters and how the solution is empathy. And we were talking about empathy uh, a little bit ago, and just that that's a huge yeah. value value for you. And to be able yeah. to actually see where the haters coming from, like man, your life must really suck for you to be able to go on social media just to troll people. My, that's heartbreaking and you know his he has a big focus on empathy and that is exactly what i'm hearing you share as well yeah 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 that's good man well yeah. so the core the core i'm hearing is discipline consistency staying staying on track little little bits long term it all adds up it's powerful man i think too like if you, if you recognize, you know, I'm, I'm practical and rational and understanding that there's going to be struggles and setbacks. But I think one thing that's really helped me too is that it does go back to a place of um, relationship with God. I mean, like, I, I know that sounds cliche in a way, but it shouldn't be cliche. It shouldn't sound, I'm tired of hearing that. One thing that has helped me is discovering who God is for me, like who he really is, who he said he would be for me. What does that look like? And like, I've asked questions. It's okay to sit there in the dark or sit there when you're by yourself and ask somebody you can't see questions. I know that correlates to a psychopath in in today's society. And sometimes if we ask weird, you know, I've, I've talked to God before and asked him some pretty strange questions and I'm sure he chuckled back. But like, even if you don't hear you know, something tangible or audible or different things, you know, we have that inner voice that, you know, that I always like to liken to obviously the Holy Spirit. And so I just wanted to emphasize that because that's been a big, huge part of my journey is when all else failed and everything else, I still have to go back to that and grow into that, into the likeness of that, because that's one of the reasons, well, it is the reason I'm alive, not one of So I wanted to emphasize that because that's important. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier, we were talking about the book that's coming out and you had another title in your heart and mind. What, what was that title that you were? Oh yeah. It was confessing a miracle because uh, Mm. basically like, you know, I, I have a confession to make the book was more of a confessional of like, you know, this is where I was at. This is where, man, I'm coming out of and man, but this is the miracle that God did in my life. Um, you know, it had to have been a miracle and people, and it basically answers the question, how do you prove that God's real? Well, I can't substantiate, you know, a factual God, you know, by, you know, bringing a person to show you, but I am the evidence of God's grace in someone's life when it is yielded and surrendered completely. Mm-hmm. I'm the evidence. Look how tore up I was. I was tore up from the floor, beat up from the feet up, jacked up from the back up, man. Seriously. And then and then what happens is, is you, you, be, you become the actual evidence, you know? And I think that's what people are, you always hear people crying out for revival and all these things, which I think is great. Um, I'm secret, I'm a secret closet revival lover uh, mm-hmm. because I, I love watching some of that stuff. And 
But I think one of the keys to all that stuff is like um, what we do when no one's around. I think that's probably the biggest part is when we're in that, you know, where we're sitting on our couch, where we're in by ourselves. And it's what we do and say and act upon um, in those moments by ourselves is what's going to create that revival, you know, personal revival first, of course, and then, then it becomes corporate. And I think that's a big thing that people fail to like recognize is that if you don't change yourself, you know, um, then it just becomes flawed and fake. And then it does, it's not real. You know, nobody wants a phony, um, you know, and, and people would rather see what I've learned is the last couple of years, people would rather see a flawed and broken and raw individual that is dealing with their issues, but real with it and honest than someone that tries to hide it and fake it and, and act like, you know, um, everything's okay. Like people say fake until you make it. Well, I don't believe in that. Um, I believe in just being real up front and take it as it is. I mean, we're all, we all struggle. We're all frail. We're, we're all humanity and we all have different, you know, ways of looking at it, but if we keep a positive disposition on what's happening to us and what's going on, I believe that changes the game. It just does. It doesn't mean we have to be happy 24 seven. That's fake. Right. And I see people sometimes that try to do that. They, they fight so hard to put energy into doing that. And it just doesn't, it's not real. It's yeah. okay to feel things and experience it. Even Jesus experienced all that stuff. But I think, you know, it's the way we handle it. I think it's the most important part. So. Oh, so well said, man. So well said. I'm, I'm so glad we had this Thanks, time man. together. This was beautiful. And I, sure. I, Definitely. I know we'll, we will connect more. If you ever, uh, if you ever make it over here to my area, I'd, I'd love to have you over to the house. Let's, let's make it happen. Where are you at again? I'm in Fort Mill. Todd Bentley's like two miles away from me. Oh, I haven't been to his right. house. Oh, he's like, Morning yeah. stars a mile Dude. from my house. It, I'm I'm in I'm in charismatic. Uh, oh, so uh, you're right in the crevice every, of it. All. You're right in the crevice of it. Yeah, we we moved Dude, here. Got, only that, that gives me more of a reason to come there now, man. That, we we we'll yeah. just keep piling oh, on the cool. reasons. <laughs> <laughs> We're good, man. Well, thank I was just you, talking man. to Daniel. Was just telling me that last last week. He was telling me that he's like, bro, are you gonna try to make it out there? Because I want to meet you there out there. Because he's in Oregon right now. He was just doing some meetings here in Oregon. And I said, man, he goes, if you're going to make it out to Fort Mill, because I keep telling him, I want to go, I want to go see, meet Tom and Jess. I want to go meet. Mm -hmm. He's like, well, why don't you go out there and I'll just fly out there because he lives in Dallas. So that'd be cool nice. to get him to go out there and meet you guys and to meet him. That'd be a, that'd be a, a, a good per uh, early birthday present for me. Oh, there you go. <laughs> When's your birthday? It's in October, but it's still a reason to call it a birthday present. <laughs> it works. It works. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, Matt, thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, for listening in. And I would yeah. encourage you, challenge you, keep an eye out. Go follow Matt on social media. And uh, his book will be out later this summer or fall. And uh, it sounds like it's fall. And they are they are getting it perfect. And they'll have it out. Um, but 700 pounds, a memoir. And uh, Matt and Tisney. Yep, you got it. Nailed it. All right. Thank Nailed you, everybody. It. Have a great day. Take care. Truth be told, I'm not the man I once was. Bought our souls.